You're listening to Guitars and Granola Bars, episode 33. Thank you so much for joining me here on Guitars and Granola Bars, Music Therapist Talk Motherhood. I'm your host, Rachel Ramback, and this podcast is for music therapists and anyone else balancing a passion-fueled career with being a mom. This podcast is sponsored by Music Teachers Helper, the best way to manage your private music lesson studio and or music therapy practice. I've used Music Teachers Helper every single day since 2011, and it is one of the best tools I have to keep my private practice running smoothly. Music Teachers Helper is online scheduling and billing software, which you can access from your computer, laptop, tablet, and smartphone, and saves you hours every month, enables you to generate reports for taxes, and ensures you never lose track of a payment. Once you add a student, which is super easy, you can choose to automatically send students custom invoices that can be paid by credit card if you make that an option. Automatically email lesson and session reminders, late payment notifications, notes, and so much more. So many amazing features, I can't even list them all here. Every user also receives a free, easy-to-build website template to help market your studio or private practice. Ditch the costly web designer or programmers and have complete control over your website content. With dozens of professional templates available, you'll be sure to find one that best expresses your style. Whether you have five or 50 students, Music Teachers Helper works with studios and practices of all sizes. They offer a 30-day no-risk trial where you can test it out to discover how much time you'll be saving. If you use the link in the show notes or go to www.musicteachershelper.com slash podcast, you'll save 20% off your first month if you choose to sign up after the trial. In this episode, I'm chatting with Kathy Schumacher. Kathy is a music therapist, a lifelong learner with a pile to read in every room, and mom to three children, ages 8, 10, and 12. She's worked in private practice the majority of her 19-year career and has developed a specialty area of literacy and math tutoring through music. She currently lives in rural Wisconsin, where she enjoys camping with her family, usually in the backyard, and tends 50 to 100 tomato plants every summer. In her spare time, Kathy blogs at www.tunefulteaching.com. Kathy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so this is really cool because last week we actually interviewed your sister, Janet Stevens, for the podcast. That is really cool. I know. So I love <laughs> that that we can do this back-to-back. Um, well, we always start the podcast by talking about your background and what led you to become a music therapist. So could you tell us that story? Absolutely. So... Um, in high school, I was in band. I'm a trumpet player. Um, and I just kind of always knew I wanted to do music, but I didn't feel like music education was right. And I didn't feel like special education was right. And I was kind of torn between the two. And then when I was a junior in high school, actually, I was on a tour with a youth symphony that was I was in. And um, we were at UW-Milwaukee. And there was this job fair. And music therapy was represented there. And um, there was actually a 
string bass player, I believe, who was looking into the field. And she like took me with her to her mom and her took me to Eau Claire to, um, to visit the college. And I ended up going to UW-Eau Claire and she did not, but um, it ended up being, you know, the perfect career for me. And I never looked back from being a junior in high school until now. It was always just, I knew what is, it was what I wanted to do. So you're um, the second or third person that has said that you knew what music therapy was and then you knew that that was a career for you early on before you even started college. Did you feel like that gave you sort of a head start and you were able to better plan um, the things that you did outside of your coursework in order to prepare for your career? You know, maybe because um, like my senior year in high school, I wrote a research paper on it in like honors English class. And I remember like seeking out employment and volunteer opportunities, like special education, or um, not special education, special Olympics. And um, I remember volunteering with a, like a 40 year old woman who wanted to learn how to type and she had Down syndrome. And like, I was not prepared at all for that, but I did it. And I think those were all really good experiences for me to have. So what was your college career like being a music therapy student? Um. It was great. I mean, we had a clinic on campus and I was really, really involved with playing the trumpet and they had a good jazz program, which all of that stuff I hardly ever use now, but I still am really glad that I did it. Um, I was really active with like the student association and all of that stuff. And then um, I went to Fort Wayne, Indiana for my internship came back to Eau Claire and I was working all that time um, for Lutheran social services in the group homes. While I was in school, I was working like 40 to 60 hours a week with um, adults with developmental disabilities. So that was just another great chance to get experience. So when I came back from my internship, I ended up working there for a while yet. And I had like one client in private practice there. And then um, my husband and I actually we had been dating for probably seven years at that point, kind of um, long distance. And he said, it's time for us to be in the same city. <laughs> so I ended up moving to Milwaukee and um, that started a whole next chapter, I guess. Um, I took a full-time job, my one and only full-time job as a music therapist. And it was kind of an, like an adult daycare for people with disabilities. And I lasted, um, I think it was about two months. And I wow. actually, <laughs> wow, I, I was actually fired. And it's kind of a cool story. Because um, it was that they just weren't treating the clients the way that I knew they should be treated. And my supervisor uh, was uh, older than me, but she was new to her field. She was a recreation therapist. And I just couldn't get along with her because I didn't agree with the way that she was running the program. Um, so I ended up getting fired on the basis that I couldn't get along with my supervisor, but they said they liked my work. They were really, you know, happy with what I had done with the clients. Um, so that was like a relief because I honestly was torn. Like, do I stay? I can't, I can't work in this environment. I just can't do it. But I felt like I was supposed to maybe be there to advocate for the clients um, so I ended up leaving that. I wrote a three page letter to the board of directors cause it was run by a church and they had no idea what was going on. Um, and then I found out later that both people above me ended up getting fired and I don't know what happened after that, but, um, I did learn that I could not work with the same eight people 
with the same four walls, working the same exact <laughs> shift every day, it drove me really crazy. So I um, went into private practice from there and never looked back. Well, good for you for advocating for your clients, especially when it meant basically losing your job. Um, <laughs> but I think it's so important to just trust that gut instinct that kind of tells us, you know, maybe I'm meant to be doing something else and maybe I should follow that path instead. Yep. Definitely. So what did, <laughs> what did things look like as you started your private practice? Well, I went from zero to, uh, probably 70 or 80 hours a week <laughs> in about a year. What? Um, yeah. Clinical was, hours? Um, no, they weren't all clinical, but I was a lot of travel, a lot of, you know, the, all the administrative all the stuff admin, too. Right, right. I don't know how many clinical hours. I've never added it up. <laughs> but I got a really, really large contract in Lake County, Illinois, actually. Um, it was with the Parent Teacher Federation. And they were, at that time, um, called TMH Classrooms for Trainably Mentally Handicapped. There were 19 classrooms in 19 separate schools. So I traveled to each classroom every week. And uh, so that was like more than 200 kids. So obviously at that time being a very young professional, I was like, well, how do I assess 200 kids? I don't know how to do this. I have no idea. And I um, ended up speaking with Kathleen Coleman about it. And she said, well, when you're working in that setting and you have that many kids, you're really not you know, doing music therapy. You're doing what we would call music enrichment. You're enriching the program that they already have in place and you're providing support to the teachers. And, you know, I gave them recordings and that kind of thing. Um, so it wasn't, you know, a quote unquote music therapy position, but I had so many kids that I got contacts like crazy and ended up taking one-on-one -on -one clients after school hours. And, um, I, went up, that was in Illinois. And I also went up to Milwaukee. And so I was literally driving about 600 miles every single week. And that was in addition to basically working a full-time job. I mean, when it, when you think about the work that you were doing in the schools and then the private clients on top of that, that's, I, how did you keep up the momentum? <laughs> um, I kind of had a reputation in college for never sleeping and it kind of followed me for a while. <laughs> um, and I was young and it was just great experience, but I made so many mistakes and I uh, set my rates way too low. I had no business experience. I had just learned so, so much. Um, and then we got married in 1999 and we um, started trying to have kids pretty much right away. It took us quite a while. Um, it took probably a year and a half or so. And then when I was pregnant with my first, I was about five months along, we ended up moving about two hours north near Oshkosh. And it was just a huge like blessing because <laughs> I was able to just, you know, quit cold turkey, start from scratch, do things right, you know, get everything in order when I was ready to start again. So, so what approach did you take to your private practice the second time around? And how was that building a new private practice and being pregnant? Well, I did not start right away. I intentionally took quite a bit of time off. Um, I actually had all three of my children before going back to private practice um, really purposefully, but I stayed really active that whole time. Um, number one, I was involved with our Wisconsin chapter for music therapy, and I served as 
all, I had all four positions. I was secretary and then I was treasurer and then I was president and then I was vice president. So I was doing all of that. And then the other really cool thing was that a family that I had connected with in Illinois, um, I ended up going back to Illinois for three summers. Um, they were in summer school, which was a six week program, but I only went back three weeks and I saw them like two days for each of those three weeks. And my kids got to come with me because the, the teacher I was working with, her daughter was able to babysit them. So, <laughs> Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. We would commute, uh, commute like two hours to go to work, but then we would stay there overnight. Oh, and nice. it was actually just a really fun kind of thing, a way to stay in the profession. Right. And not yeah. have to worry about childcare and what you were going to do with your kids during that time. That's so nice. Yeah. Yeah. So at what point or how old were your children when you decided that it was time to really dig in with a private practice? Um, I didn't really make a decision that it was time. I just started getting calls. And then we kind of talked about it and decided that it was okay. But my son, my youngest, was um, about seven months old when that happened. And my oldest at that time was almost five. I have three kids. Um, So that's when I started. But it was really only like a half a day a week. And it stayed like that for quite a while. And then it just gradually kind of built back up. Um, And actually that same family that I traveled to Illinois for, their grandmother was in the town where I live now. And I ended up working with her. And um, she had been a school teacher. So the mom actually asked that I bring my children with me. Like I did it every other week. So one week I just had her as a one-on-one. And then the next week we would have like this small group intergenerational thing. And my kids were with me for that. So that was really cool. That is really cool. How nice that you really got to have your children involved in your work and they got to see what you did and what music therapy was really from the very beginning. Yeah, definitely. It was really neat. Yeah. So how did things evolve over time with you adding more clients and trying to manage that plus uh, your kids? Yeah, it just, it seems like it just kind of gradually evolved. I would just get calls and make the decision whether or not it was something I wanted to add. Um, At this point, I'm still only like 20 hours a week. Um, I work Monday afternoons and then Tuesdays I'm in the school all day with my kids volunteering in their classrooms. And I have like uh, 1.5 hours of clinical work that kind of happens that same day. And then in the afternoon, I just teach two piano lessons and my kids come with me for that. So um, that's what Tuesday is. And then I have nothing on Wednesday. And then Thursday is like my full day where I do most of my clinical work. Do you foresee yourself keeping your schedule that way? I do. I think I'm at the point right now where I'm getting more calls and I'm trying to decide what to do. Um, But I really feel like it's it's enough. I want to stay involved with my kids' schooling and I – I help run the school newspaper and things like that where I get more connected with their the kids in school. Did you ever feel like there was a disconnect from the profession having taken time off really from your clinical work and then diving back in? You know, I never did because I was so active with our state chapter um, and there was email and that's kind of when, when, you know, Facebook was all starting and um, I think think because that all happened at the same time, I never really had that. And I was still doing all the continuing education and finding ways to go places occasionally. So it was pretty easy to stay connected. 
And I think that's important for other music therapists to hear because I feel like so many of us think, oh, well, if I'm not working clinically, then I'm not really being a music therapist and I'm falling behind or, you know, I'm, I'm going away from the field. But there are so many different ways to be a music therapist, not just working clinically and, and working with clients. So I'm glad that you bring that point up and that you are telling us that, no, I didn't feel that disconnect. I think that's so crucial for us to keep in mind, especially when music therapists are leaving to go on maternity leave or to do other things that require them to scale back professionally as far as the clinic goes. Yeah, definitely. And it's the technology is huge. Like when oh, I was yeah. in college, I had, I was given an email address, like when I was a sophomore and I checked it about once every three months. Oh. <laughs> I mean, that was literally the world that we lived in. Right. That was almost 20 years ago. Um, but now it's just so, so easy to stay connected. And I feel like even just being a mom was almost like continuing education because <laughs> I was seeing the development like before my eyes and just, you know, becoming a better music therapist just by learning how to be a parent. Yes, that is so true. The overlap is just insane how much you can learn when you're doing one and apply it to the other. So that's that's also a good point. And it's both ways. You are a better parent because you have that training and you're a better therapist because you're a parent. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So did, yeah. did you feel like you did make changes to the way that you um, to the way that you did music therapy after becoming a parent? I don't know. If anything, it was more a change in how I related to the parents. Um, I, th I was probably more confident with the kids just because I knew how to interact with them. And I was just more comfortable and confident, I suppose. But um, I don't know that it really changed my therapy style at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think confidence is a big one for me, especially just in my interactions with the client and with parents and other professionals, I feel like just being more assertive and having experience with being a mom has really transferred into, into my professional life. So I'm really grateful for that. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like everything was really running smoothly for you as you started back with your private practice and kind of built it up gradually. What kind of challenges did you run into? Um, well, there's challenges daily, <laughs> you know, it never, it never all goes away. Oh no. Um, sometimes I feel like, like I'm a jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing. Um, I think especially because I'm trying to learn about, you know, website development and, and marketing and all that stuff is just like a whole nother world that I'm learning, but it's still so fun. I don't want to give it up, but it does create some stress. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think the challenge for me, too, is that my office is in my home. Um, and I don't, other than like that Thursday that I have completely dedicated to clinical work and I have a few like dedicated office hours. Other than that, it's all just kind of squeezing it in when I can. And I'm not sure that's the best. I need to, I think, work towards getting more of a schedule going. Um, but that's always a challenge. I feel like as soon as you get it figured out, something changes in your schedule or in your kid's schedule, and then you have to completely reassess and <laughs> start from scratch. Yeah. And, you know, I hear people talk about balance. I know you guys have talked about that before on your podcast. And um, I've heard people say, well, I don't think balance is possible. And um, 
lately I've been thinking, I agree that it's not possible. And I've been thinking more of it like as a blend instead of a balance. So like, um, you know, when you blend blue and yellow together to get a green, you can get a green that's like, just feels really good. It's one of my favorite colors and you just love being by that color. And then you can get like a nasty <laughs> baby poop green, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. and you're like, Oh, not that green. And it just feels bad, you know? Yeah. So, um, it just feels like it's a blend, like, because I'm a business owner, I'm an entrepreneur. That's who I am. That's how I'm wired. Um, it's part of who I am. I can't just leave the job ever. I just, it doesn't hardly ever just leave my brain. It's always there. So I can't balance it because balancing just feels yucky when you're balancing on a, you know, a tightrope or something, you're just like tense and it doesn't feel good. So I'm thinking of it more like it's a blend and I can just know in my gut when my balance or my blend is off, I have to just kind of try to scale back and, um, it's not easy and I'll probably never perfect it, but, um, that's kind of how I've been thinking about it lately. I love that metaphor so much. That is, I've never heard it described that way, especially with the colors. That's genius. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to remember that one. And thank you for saying that, that, that the business side of you is part of who you are and that it's always going to be with you because that's exactly how I've always felt. And lately I've started to feel a little bit guilty for that because I'm feeling like, oh, you know, I have a new baby and I have a two-year-old, so I should be, my focus should be, you know, way more on my kids and my life at home than it is on my business. But then, you know, when I do that, then that business side starts, you know, creeping in my brain and it's like, wait, wait, what about me? Um, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to think of it more in terms of a blend from now on and not, not that balance because it never, it never works out. The balance never works out. So I, I love that. Yeah. And you'll know, you just kind of know when it's off and you just have to adjust a little bit, you know, right. add a little more blue to the mix and less yellow. Yes. <laughs> That's cool. I like that a lot. So what are some of the most fulfilling aspects of not only being a working mom, but also being a business owner? Um, I think it's partially just um, knowing that I'm a better mom and having those skills. Uh, I think because I live in rural Wisconsin in the boonies, I'm surrounded by um, parenting skills and (laughs) parenting styles that are very different than my own. Um, I just kind of appreciate what that has done for me and for my ability to parent my children. I think also it's just knowing that I don't have to work for somebody. Like I don't think I ever will be able to again, it would be very difficult for me if I had to, for some reason, um, like health insurance, (laughs) which is always a headache. Um, but I just feel like no matter what, I have enough skills that I can create a job for myself. I maybe I'll have to teach piano more for a while or, um, offer some diversified kind of a thing, but I feel like I can always just find work and make a living if I need to. Yeah. And that's such a freeing thought. And I feel the same way. Like I think sometimes, oh, you know, it would be so much easier to go to a nine to five job, do my work, come home and not have a zillion things to do (laughs) every other waking hour. But, you know, I know myself so well that if I was in that boat, I, I would be not happy and I would be finding ways to, to give myself more work. So I think that it's just one of those things that's, just in your blood and you can't do much about it. 
Yeah. And it's different being like a, you know, a creative entrepreneur where you're always creating things and inventing things and solving problems, creating the solutions for those problems. It's just what you have to do to feel fulfilled. Right. Exactly. It's like if you don't have three projects in your head that are coming down the docket, then you don't like you start to get that like jittery feeling like, okay, what's next? What's next? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So you have a lot of um, other kind of creative projects going on aside from your clinical work. So tell us some some more about that. Uh, Okay. Well, my website is tunefulteaching.com. I just learned how to build websites, you know, a few years ago. I took Kat Fulton's class. Highly recommend it. Um, And then my sister took it after me and she has she has surpassed my skills very quickly. She's three years younger than me. I think maybe that's why her brain works better <laughs> than mine. But um, it's it's really cool to have those skills. Um, so that's for my private practice, and that's also for um, the publishing end of things. And my part of the clinical work I do is I focus on teaching literacy through music. And what's really cool about that is when you improve literacy, you simultaneously improve communication skills. And both are just so important for being able to function in life. Um, So I've spent a lot of time researching that. Um, In 2008 was when I first started presenting on it at conferences. And before that point, when I would present at conferences, I would always give away this like 30 page handout that had every song that I used. And um, I'd spend way too much money on handouts. And then at that conference, I was like, okay, I have too many songs. I cannot keep giving them away. So I made like a comb bound book and I sold it and um, I did really well. I sold like all of them. And it was just about teaching literacy and phonological awareness through music. Um, and then that kind of, and I was like doing those at home, like, you know, comb binding them and laminating stuff. And it, it was a little bit of insanity. And uh, then <laughs> The website thing started to evolve, and I did my first ebook. I turned that book into an ebook um, after kind of expanding it quite a bit. So that's been the big thing, and I really just haven't marketed it much online. Um, I presented at conferences before, and I did my first national conference in 2012. Um, that was another one of those things where um, my blend was way, way off because I I really, the conference was in Chicago and I really did it like probably two years too soon, but it was so close that I couldn't resist. (laughs) So I ended up like building that book from this little comb bound book into like a 215 page book that has 70 songs in it. And truthfully, at this point, it feels like I kind of like gave birth to conjoined twins and I need to figure out a way to separate them (laughs) (laughs) because it's too big to be an ebook, but that's what it is right now. So um, I just want to start talking about that more. And I have like supplemental things that go with it that I'm planning to add to the website. And so, so many ideas that I just have to slowly take action on. Um, but that's kind of been my other focus for my business. That's really exciting. And your resources are fantastic. I know that you've shared them with me. And um, I think that there's something that is really important to music therapists, especially those that work with children. So um, I definitely encourage you to check out Kathy's website because there's a lot of great stuff there. Um, and actually, I remember meeting you at that Chicago conference. You came up and introduced yourself because we had talked over email, but 
had never actually met in person. So that was our first run in with each other. It was. And mm-hmm. then I was also on the round table for maybe, you know, the three minute little thing. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's fun how technology just connects us and especially those of us that are like-minded in the creative entrepreneurial sense and we can kind of support each other and see how, you know, one person is doing something and get some ideas from that and learn from each other. Definitely. Yeah. So you have a lot on your plate with three kids and how old are your kids? They are 8, 10, and 12. They will very soon be um, 8, 11, and 13. That's like the big 13. Oh, my goodness. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. So the first two were uh, like two and a half years apart, which was really pretty good. And then the last one was only 18 months after the the second. And that was a little close. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's my boy. And he's got lots of energy. I'm Um, sure. Yeah. But grade-wise, they're split by two years. So I have a a third grader, a fifth grader, and a seventh grader. Oh, nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. my kids are almost exactly 24 months, a little under 24 months apart. So we'll have yeah. that two-year age difference too, which I hear is is a good um, kind of split as they get older. Yeah, especially for school. It's right. Nice that. Yeah. With three kids and an online business and your clinical practice as well, what kinds of things do you do for yourself to um, take care of that self-care aspect? Uh, well, truthfully, I'm really bad at it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am really good at ignoring pain. I can like ignore body signals like crazy. Um, and actually just listening to your podcast that you've done and thinking about how I would answer this question has probably helped me a little bit. Um, I do, I do take really long, hot showers that's my one consistent. Okay, that's good. That's a good start. <laughs> and I think the other thing I do really well too is just drink water, tons of water. Mm-hmm. I um used to have headaches like almost half the year. And since I started drinking water, um, and I'm talking like I learned that you should drink half your body weight in ounces. Yes, I've heard that too. Yeah. So if you weigh 200 pounds, you should drink 100 ounces of water every day. And I've been doing that really faithfully, really for the last six years, and it's made a huge difference. Um, so that is, I do, I do really well with water. And um, other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm still working on the self-care piece. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of us type A's are always working on that piece because it's hard to put everything else down and just take care of yourself. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of advice would you give to other music therapists who are juggling an online business and a private practice or want to get into that sort of thing, but also have kids and lots of other things on their plate like you? Um, You know, every person has to find their own path and what feels comfortable for them. But I think that what's really neat about our profession is that you can stay involved by working however many hours you want. Um, and I just think people can know that you, if the work will always be there, if you take time off for your kids and just stay involved in some way, the work will still be there when you get done. Um, so, you know, if that means working just two days a week, or if it means the cutoff is 5 PM every night, you know, whatever it is for each person, but, um, it's, it's going to be there. And, the time with the kids is just so important. Yeah, I I love that advice. And I know that I have experienced a little bit of FOMO, which is fear of missing out as far as the clinical realm goes. And it's like, ooh, you know, if I take off a whole summer 
and really devote that to, you know, just my personal growth and my family, then what am I going to miss? Like, what am I going to miss out on that otherwise I, you know, might be a, a part of? So yeah, that's just one of those things that you have to keep in mind that, yeah, the work is always going to be there. Your colleagues are going to still be there for you when you get back and they the projects are, are going to be waiting for you on the other side. Yeah. And, it, and you think, well, somebody somebody's judging me because they know I'm not working full time or whatever. Um, but they don't know everything else is going on. You know, like we have a huge garden. So I spent half my summer processing food and canning it. And that's um, part of our lifestyle that we've chosen. And I, it's good for my kids to see that and they're involved with it. And that's all, that's all good stuff too. We, yeah, this actually, this last weekend was my mom's birthday and we decided we were going to make her an apple crisp. Um, and the kids were all excited because we don't have them very often because it takes like an hour and a half to cut all the apples up. <laughs> but my husband went out to pick the apples off the tree in the morning. And then we all sat down together and we had the five of us were working and we had like this assembly line going and we peeled all these apples in like 30 minutes. Oh we ended gosh. up making three apple crisps out of the whole thing. Nice. But my kids just jumped in and they didn't complain and they just did the work. And I think that's part of... Um, having a business owner for a mom and seeing the work they, they've yeah. developed this work ethic too. That's really like just another positive. I think, um, when they play, they, they play store all the time and they create this fake money and they have one person's the mailman and one person's the postman and the other one has origami boxes for sale. And it's just fun to watch. It is. Yeah. It sounds like you have some future entrepreneurs on your hands. I'm afraid so. <laughs> yeah. That's a good thing. That's usually. It is a good thing. It is a good <laughs> Most thing. Most of the time. Right. Well, Kathy, do you have any um, books or resources or products that you love and that you couldn't live without related to either music therapy or motherhood? Um, motherhood wise, I think this book might be kind of old school now, but it was really a lifesaver for me. Um, it's, uh, baby wise is kind of the short name for it, but I think it's Unbecoming baby wise and it's Ezo and another author. Um, but that really helped me a lot. My young, my, my oldest was not a good sleeper initially. And, um, this book really helped me with it. Um, I didn't follow it, you know, letter for letter, cause it basically puts your kid on a schedule and they, they have to, they eat and then you have to make sure they stay awake for a little bit. And then, which is like their play at whatever age, and then they fall asleep after that. So it's like this cycle of eat, play, sleep, eat, play, sleep. Um, and I didn't like follow the book and let them cry it out so much like the book said to do, but I kind of combined my therapy skills with what the book was saying. And for us, it really worked. It made a big difference. Yeah. I've heard really good things about that book. And in fact, I did kind of have a general idea about that schedule and sort of implemented that with Parker when he was little because he was also a terrible sleeper. And I'm lucky that my my new one, my daughter, is an amazing sleeper. So I'm not <laughs> dealing with that ridiculous um, sleep deprivation this time around. But I did I use think, some of those principles. I think they kind of know that you're a newbie and they kind of <laughs> can just sense. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I think you're right about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And professionally, podcasts are huge. And I think this might actually be one that you recommended, but um, lately I've been listening to Being Boss. <gasps> yes. That's one of my favorites. It is really, really quite good. Um, yeah. Just for business mindset stuff that right. you need to have to run a business successfully. Um, it's huge. And yeah. I also, also love that one because both of the hosts are really successful business owners, but they're also both moms. 
And mm-hmm. they're both at different stages. The one one of the hosts, Emily, she has I think an eight year old, and then Kathleen, the other host, has an eighteen month old. I think so. Yeah, you get yeah. sort of both perspectives and like both sides. Like, okay, this is the baby years, like in the trenches, and then you know once they're a little bit older and self more self sufficient, then you know this is how I do things. So yeah, I love that podcast. That's a good one. Yeah. Do you have any other favorites? Um. Lately, I've been listening to, um, it's called Cash-Based Practice, I think. Oh, it's I by know. a PT, physical therapist. Okay. Um, yeah, it's very interesting because they've done, um, you know, insurance reimbursement forever. And the PTs are like, they call it working in the mill. So like they're working in a normal rehab setting and they're double booked they're usually seeing two or three clients simultaneously. And so they like get 10 minutes with each one. And then that client just sits there and does exercises or whatever. And they, they hate it. And they're trying to go, they're starting to go to private practice and this cash-based system where they don't take insurance at all. Um, It's just really interesting. And just talking about how they do that and how they dedicate a full hour to each client and they charge appropriately for it. And clients are happy to pay it because they're getting a really high quality service. Um, so I just find that really interesting. Nice. And it sounds like there are some principles that music therapists could maybe take away from that too. It is going to be interesting because I love this big push we have for insurance reimbursement. Um, and I, I got insurance reimbursement like 18 years ago once, and I really honestly don't want to do it again anytime soon. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just the business model that I've chosen because I'm only working part-time and I don't have employees and, um, it's not to say that I think anybody shouldn't be doing it because I'm really glad that there's other music therapists that are that are educating us on that piece. But I, I think it's really interesting that the PTs are moving away from it and to hear their perspective on the whole thing. Yeah. Um, it's fascinating. That is. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing those. And thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story with us. Yeah. And I want to tell you my, um, my book, I'm trying hard to market it. So I'm, I have a coupon set up. I figured out how to do that. Oh, awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So anybody who just enters the coupon code granola will get 25% off. Very cool. um, I think I, I have it set up for the first 25 users. So there's some scarcity involved. So hop on over yeah. and check it out. Awesome. And I will definitely um, put a link to that in the show notes so that people can click right from the website and scoop that up. And that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that with my listeners. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to send Kathy a message, you can contact her via email, kathy at tunefulteaching.com. Would you like to be a guest on the show? Let me know. Get in touch and find the show notes for this episode at guitarsandgranolabars.com. And I would really appreciate if you would take just a minute to rate and review the show on iTunes so that it reaches even more listeners. I'll talk to you again next week.